This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. The Prime Minister dressed up in racist costumes so many times that he cannot remember them. What the politicians want you to do is to be in a position where you have to condone one thing in order to argue against or rule on another. Justin Trudeau's history of blackface is an embarrassment to himself. It's obviously completely unacceptable, but it has nothing to do with conservative MPs and other power players sitting down with and whining and dining a far right ideologue out of Germany that's called for a clampdown on immigration, that's spoken and espoused anti-Muslim views, and that has questioned Nazi war crimes, not even in the same ballpark. There you have it, another banger as featured on a Real Talk RJ TikTok Mm -hmm. and wanted to take a quick second (laughs) to recognize the intrepid John Hicks who's been killing it there. I popped in on that this morning. Good morning, everybody. A happy Thursday to you. Margaret Whiten from the Taiyi in just a second on cocaine in grocery stores in BC. Not happening. It's a fact check. Uh, But also BC becoming the first province to make contraception, prescription contraception free for Canadians. Uh, We're going to talk about that in just a second. But I wanted to take a sec because I dropped in on our TikTok. I'll be honest. I haven't paid a ton of attention to TikTok as of late, John. 176 comments and counting on that post from yesterday. (laughs) And we just wanted to remind people that that's an amazing place to get dialogue kickstarted. And if you want to catch, what was that clip? Under 30 seconds? Really, 28. If you want to get our hot takes Mm -hmm. on political topics across the country in 30 seconds or less, give us a follow on TikTok. We're also on Instagram Mm -hmm. at RealTalkRJ. About 500 new followers in the last week. So thank you very much. Follow at Real talk rj and also just wanted to mention that people were asking about how to get captioning closed captioning for the show because a lot of people asking a lot of people watch like in their cubicle at work they don't want to disturb their co-workers so all you have to do is click the little cc button below on the uh youtube right now and you'll be able to watch uh Discreetly, Yeah, no, that's good. And I appreciate you mentioning that. Sometimes we can, we kind of forget to mention things that make the, the listening or viewing experience mm-hmm. easy for people on Real Talk. So, yeah, give us a follow on TikTok, on Instagram. Of course, you can find us on Twitter as well at Real Talk RJ. And if you are looking for closed captioning on YouTube live streaming or otherwise, just enable the CC button. button. Yeah. There's a lot going on right now. We're going to be talking in just about a half an hour to the mayor of Grand Prairie as well as a, a city councilor there, uh, Dylan Bressy, uh, Jackie Clayton, of course, her worship the mayor. They're, they're saying... Bye-bye to the RCMP. That's what they want to do. We're going to get an update on exactly where that's at. But this is part of a bigger picture discussion, of course, in the province of Alberta. You know that this United Conservative government, and this will be part of their campaign platform. I don't know how much Danielle Smith's going to be talking about it in the weeks, the months leading up to the end of May when Albertans will go to the polls. But there has long been a desire from the conservative faction in Alberta to have a provincial police force. Now, this is not what Mayor Clayton's going to be talking to us about, to be clear. We'll get her to clarify, but this would be a a police service for the city of Grand Prairie. But those that have that gift, that ability to to observe and then state the obvious would point out that it would weaken the grip. It would weaken the presence of the RCMP in northern Alberta. It may be a step toward weakening or ultimately eliminating the presence of the RCMP in the province of Alberta. 
The provincial government has made some money available to Grand Prairie to start looking into this. Just over 10 million bucks. We're going to find out exactly why Mayor Clayton and her council. It sounds to me like this is a unanimous decision. So if you disagree with this and you're living in Grand Prairie right now, if you happen to be listening live on the Mixler audio app uh, presented by California Closet Store, if you're watching this live on YouTube, we'll keep an eye on the chat. You can hit us up with our hashtag RealTalkRJ as well to let us know how you feel about this. But it's an, an interesting story. So that's where we'll go in a half hour. But we wanted to get to a couple of stories Right out of the gates today, they've been making news across the country. Number one, you remember that Langley-based company, uh, Lower Mainland-based company that announced last week their stock price doubled after they announced last week that they had received the green light from Health Canada to manufacture and sell legal cocaine. And BC's premier, David Eby, was like, uh, news to me. And then the prime minister went on the record and said, uh, much like Premier Eby, I'm not exactly sure what's going on right now. Well, uh, Moira Whiten did what, you know, journalists do, and she fact-checked the story, and you can read her report at the thetai.ca, the headline, No, a BC company can't sell you cocaine now. She calls it a confusing <laughs> announcement. I mean, I don't hate to be, I, I don't want to be a cynic, but again, in stating the obvious, John, the stock price doubled overnight for this company. You have to wonder if there was some play to maybe just get them on the radar of yeah. a whole bunch of people. Also, you know, the movie Cocaine Bear is out now, so this might be a perfect little cross-promotion going on. I can't wait to see that. What's going to be better, Sharknado or Cocaine Bear? I don't know. <laughs> Moira Guyton is the health reporter for the TIE, where she focuses on covering COVID-19, the toxic drug crisis, and mental health in British Columbia. She grew up uh, in our hometown of Edmonton, previously reporting on politics, health, and education uh, for the Edmonton Journal and the Edmonton Sun. It's so nice to see your face, and thanks for waking up early for us on the West Coast. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Nice to be here. Yeah, you bet. Uh, we'll talk about free contraception in just a second, because that's a big deal. Uh, Rachel Notley announcing in Alberta yesterday that the NDP would want to do the exact same thing if they form government uh, into June. But let's talk about this cocaine story first out of the gates. The first time, first time I saw it, I went, what? What was your very first reaction when you saw this announcement out of Langley? As any good journalist, I guess, my first reaction was, is this really true? Um, it, it just seemed, you know, so outlandish and the headline was so simple, given what we know about how Health Canada approves um, the exemptions for people and, and companies to handle controlled substances. I, I, my colleague and I were kind of talking about it and we just realized that there's definitely something weird going on. And yes, cynics have said and when do say that it was about, you know, drawing attention and, and bumping up that stock price. Yeah. So this is a this is a, a cannabis company, right? Adastra Holdings. And, and they announced back on February 22nd that they'd been granted federal permission to legally possess, produce, sell and distribute cocaine. It did kickstart a conversation, though, right, about decriminalization, oh, yeah. about safe supply. Uh, and that's something, obviously, that you've been writing about. Yeah, it was really brought to attention early that Thursday morning. A couple of media outlets, you know, reported just what the company had released on February 22nd. And then in the legislature, the official opposition, the BC Liberals, really kicked up a fuss in question period, questioning the provincial government about why um, this was going on and raising concern, you know, about drug trafficking in BC. You know, it's important to mention BC decriminalized with federal permission from Health Canada, small amounts of, of some drugs like cocaine, heroin, methamphetamine, uh, and MDMA, 
on January 31st, but that doesn't legalize trafficking or uh, the sale or distribution of drugs at all. So this is an entirely separate thing. Um, and the company explicitly said, you know, we want to position ourselves to provide a safer supply of cocaine uh, if and when harm reduction efforts reach that point. Um, and when in his response, Premier David Eby said, you know, that's not part of our plan at all right now. Um, but a couple of the experts that I did talk to about this and about what, you know, a safe supply of cocaine might mean in BC did say it was very much needed. You know, more than 11,000 people have died in BC since 2016 of toxic drugs. And they're saying that, you know, many of those would have been uh, protected by a regulated supply of cocaine. Do you think that this story, this this Adastra Holdings one, the one about, you know, the sort of uh, basically, and they like, Mark, they knew what they were like. They knew it was wrong. They knew it was incorrect. It's, it's kind of, to be honest, it's a move in bad faith, right? Um, first of all, are there any consequences for the company? I mean, would there be, even so in the court of public We know opinion? that they got a slap on the wrist from Health Canada oh. because Thursday evening, very late, Health Canada said, we're reminding them of the parameters uh, and that this is only applying to the general, to um, scientific and research purposes. It's not for distribution to the general public. And then Friday morning, or Friday afternoon, I should say, um, Adastra Holdings and another BC-based lab who uh, have this permission uh, retracted their partial recent statements and said, just to clarify, this is not for the general public, which is very much information that would have been extremely, extremely important to include in the initial uh, the initial announcement. Yeah, because, of course, cocaine is manufactured legally in Canada. It's used in medical applications. ENT surgeons would utilize it in, in oftentimes, et cetera. Um, with with regards to the the pilot project, though, and B.C., you know, securing this this decriminalization. Uh, what is it? It's essentially like it's almost like they're off the hook from enforcing federal law for a few years. Is that is that kind of how you would put it? Yeah, basically. So Ottawa through Health Canada granted an exemption from Canada's federal drug legislation. So that means that anyone in possession of 2.5 grams or less total of the, you know, four, you know, opioids, meth, coke, and uh, MDMA, um, they won't be subject to arrest or charge or seizure of their drugs. And so the goal of this is to kind of like reduce the harms of criminalization that drive people to use drugs alone, um, that have people like using, losing their employment or losing their children or their housing uh, because of like simple possession drug charges and, you know, ostensibly for police to focus on drug trafficking and, you know, other more serious crimes. Um, but it definitely, you know, as, as a couple of the experts pointed out uh, in the story and, and in others, it's not necessarily going to stop uh, deaths. It's about kind of writing that historical imbalance. Mm. Um, and so BC is going to be looking at, at how it'll uh, how it'll impact us and how it'll impact you know other markers like arrests and jail time and and all these things uh, for three years. It'll end it, uh, if, unless it's extended. It'll end in uh, January 2026. What do you? I only have very limited sample sizes on this. Like basically people that I've talked to or people that have approached me to bring it up. I've not done mass polling. I've not seen that type of thing. I mean, you're a journalist. This is one of your beats. You're you're assigned for the TIE to cover this this toxic drug crisis and, and obviously the opioid crisis in, in Western Canada and across the country for that matter. Where do you gauge public opinion to be at with regards to open-mindedness? 
on this type of thing. When we start talking about, de- you know, the Portuguese model, for example, and decriminalizing all drugs, or we start talking about safe supply, like actually making narcotics available to people who use drugs to, to try to reverse these drug poisonings and these overdose deaths. What, what are you hearing from people on the street, people you talk to? Decriminalization, I think, definitely has pretty broad support, especially among um among the scientific and the public policy com- like communities uh, and also in the legislature, like every party supports the decriminalization pilot. Uh, I should say there's one independent MLA who I don't know his stance. Um, and the BC Liberals have supported the pilot and the idea, although they are concerned that there aren't the proper safeguards in place, um, which I'm a bit unclear on on what that would be, but they want more transparency from government on what else they're doing. And and on the safe supply note, people have really made it clear that decriminalization alone won't save lives. It won't separate people from the toxic drug supply. It still kind of allows the criminalized supply to be extremely unregulated and contaminated with things that make even the most frequent of drug users susceptible to overdose because of how potent and unpredictable it is. So, and and we also know that more than half of people dying in BC are not considered like quote unquote addicted or are not diagnosed with a substance use disorder. So I think as like, like every community and nearly every family by this point has been touched by either a death uh, of a loved one um, from toxic drugs or, um, you know, having uh you know a loved one go uh through addiction or, or have or have issues with substance use so i think there really is um a, a fair bit of support as well for safe supply that would really that you know public health and drug user advocates say would separate people mm. from that toxic drug supply but that is still very much um uh, you know, m- considered radical by yeah. many. Yeah. Um, so it's it's not coming in a widespread way anytime soon. BC has some programs, but not on the scale that that public health experts say is needed. Yeah, I've I've heard that word radical used several times lately, and and some people pointing out that radical doesn't have to be a dirty word in politics. Sometimes to get things done, you got to be willing to put radical policy out there. There, there's been radical policy in past that has shaped. Canadian healthcare that's shaped a lot of things in the country. Yeah, and I think BC being the first isn't a bad thing, but it makes it hard to build the case to the skeptics. Um, but you know, we we look, Portugal has a very different model, very different governance system. They've really gone hard on treatment and you know making that universally available and accessible, which I know Alberta uh, is focusing on as well. BC is building out some treatment services with the last couple of budgets. Um, but yeah, there there really is this sense of like, can BC be a pioneer? Sorry, I should say, pardon me, a trailblazer, um, as it was with Insight, uh, the safe consumption site opening, and as it has been with decriminalization. Um, but it, it's lonely when you're trailblazing and, and there aren't a lot of uh, other countries you can look at for strong, like conclusive evidence that this will work when it's... Yeah. Smaller studies are showing us that that it is very beneficial. Yeah. MS 2020 in our live chat right now watching on YouTube is, is 100% correct. It says the Portuguese model is not just about decriminalization. They have strong support systems in place as well. That's kind of the whole idea, right? I mean, we're going to talk policing 
uh, in you know 15 minutes here on the show. And, and you know you'll have people whose whose idea around policing or cutting down on crime rates is like boots on the ground, more cops. And if, if that's your perspective, it's easy to make that argument. And then a lot of other people will say, well, you know, resources, this is kind of part of the bigger picture around defund the police, um, which is, of course, is a very loaded term right now. I'm not sure a lot of people have actually done much digging to understand what that means or what it entails. But the idea of, of channeling resources elsewhere to work on crime prevention, to look at root causes and and you can make stronger, compelling arguments for both. And maybe a mix of the two would be effective, but but the same applies here. You know, I mean, we've got a comment here from Nicole. She's bang on as well. It says, unfortunately, a lot of people are ignorant about what decriminalizing drugs actually implies because we're taught that drug users are just bad. And there's mm-hmm. so much stigma here, right? I mean, I can't tell you, Morag, I'm sure you've heard it a million times as well. You, you talk to people about decriminalizing drugs and you, you get that response like, you know, oh, so like, you know, just 18 year olds going to go down to the Circle K and pick up, you know, smack before the party. They're just going to go pick up a bunch of heroin before their party. Like, how is that a good idea? And I think it's kind of, you know, at the surface level, it's hard for some people to wrap their minds around if there's not informed discussion or debate about it. Mm-hmm. And I think also the drug supply is just so fundamentally changed since the 80s when maybe a teenager did go and pick up some snack before a party sure um that there yeah like there's just a need for a new way of thinking about um drug use is is what i'm hearing from from the folks i i talk to on the ground and also that uh, understanding that not all substance use is problematic or is inherently requiring treatment or for someone to be totally abstinent like we have so many people and communities who or just you know take like drugs casually or recreationally or occasionally for uh for festivals and, and that's not really considered a problem in the same way or for an, any number of reasons um but for whatever reason we're still taking a prohibitionist um approach to it and so it's going to be interesting seeing the the, the development of that in, yeah. in and elsewhere. Yeah, I'm not throwing this at you. I'm just saying, generally speaking, it always sucks in conversations like this where people feel like they have to bring up, you know, like the person who used cocaine for the first time and overdosed or the person that was just a casual user or the person that was the CEO or the, you know, the president of their community league that, that got some bad coke at a party and like, you know, overdosed and, and people's opinions on that or the, the way that it, that it pulls on people's heartstrings or the empathy that people feel in some circumstances, you know, a death in the suburbs due to drug poisoning so different than a death behind a dumpster. I don't want to pick on Dwayne in our live chat, but Dwayne says, you know, what about what about all the used needles lying around? That's not safe either. Dwayne, that's why you have supervised consumption sites. Like we're not going to pretend like people aren't going to use drugs. It hasn't worked. The war on drugs has been a failure ever since inception. And for, for hundreds, if not thousands of years before that, that's the whole point is to take it off the street. But I'm glad that we're having these conversations. Moira, International Women's Day yesterday. And uh, Rachel Notley and her colleague, Janice Irwin, uh, you know, critic for women's services, wanted to get the attention of Albertans on March 8th, announcing that if the NDP forms government in May, that they would make prescription contraception covered. And uh, this would be following the trail that's being blazed in B.C., the first province in the country to do so. You've been covering this. Yeah, B.C. became Canada's first province to uh, make prescription contraception free for everyone. It'll start on April 1st, and it includes everything from hormonal contraception, the pill, shots, Nuberbring, uh, IUDs, um, to the morning after pill, Plan B. 
And, you know, the finance minister, Katrina Conroy, was really, really clear that this is about enhancing access to reproductive health and strengthening reproductive rights in BC. So as soon as April 1st, anyone with a doctor's prescription and an MSP provincial healthcare card will be able to go to the pharmacy and just get all of their fees waived. Um, and it could save the government estimates someone without insurance covering, you know, a monthly pill prescription, about $10,000 over their lifetime. Wow. Uh, for, for like the uh, ish 50% of us that might not totally be able to wrap our minds around how big of a deal this is, it's probably about more than, I mean, the money is not a, a negligible factor. That's obviously significant, especially for people on uh, fixed incomes or people on lower incomes, but but it goes beyond that too, doesn't it? I mean, I've seen some of the some of the language uh, being used by some of the, the you know the the newsmakers that you talk to in your reporting, and they're describing this as a fundamental right. This is a a position statement. A hundred percent. And this was a NDP. Um, the NDP party adopted this in, a, in the party platform in 2017, and then it was a budget promise in 2020. So people have been waiting and waiting and waiting and campaigning for this. Um, and so I think especially with reproductive rights under attack in um, in regards to abortion rights in the United States, um, there's really been this renewed spotlight on the fact that those freedoms and those rights in Canada, while not under attack in, on the same scale, are so essential to safeguard and not just at, you know, one aspect of uh, providing abortion, which is still inaccessible for many in B.C., um, but actually at those kind of upstream effects and making sure that people have the support and the resources to exercise their reproductive rights um, throughout their whole lives, whether that be not having children or having children or, um, you know, just feeling safer or feeling more supported uh, so that they don't have to go to their family to pay for prescription contraception or being able to leave an abusive relationship. Uh, because they haven't been pregnant and they've been able to prevent that. So, yeah, it really is about running, you know, the gamut of, um, of reproductive justice and supporting that. You've done a great job in covering this. People can check out. We're talking to Moira White, and if you're just tuning in right now from the Taiyi at the Taiyi.ca, of course, you can link to her Twitter from uh, our tweet uh, just before we went live this morning at Real Talk RJ. You talk about it's not 100%. Uh, figured out yet exactly how this will be universally accessible. There are still some some hurdles uh, to access people living in, in more rural areas and smaller communities. There's some stigma around this. Can we get into that? Yeah, so it's similar with abortion and with the abortion pill. The Globe and Mail has done some really excellent reporting on that in the last five years. Um, but small smaller communities, you know, you might personally know your healthcare provider, uh, they might not be comfortable in uh, prescribing birth control and doctors are allowed um, to exercise what, what are called conscious rights um, to if they you know are religiously or morally opposed to a form of treatment. Um, so in a smaller community, you might know that person and you also might not have another doctor to go to or another pharmacist to go to um, if they won't prescribe it. So that's still a barrier. There are some kind of telehealth services that might be helpful. But you still, you know, have to get to a pharmacy, have to get to a clinic in case you have any issues with your prescription, et cetera. So that's still a huge barrier. And also in, uh, in BC, there's a, a maximum of three month waiting period from the moment you move to BC to when you can actually be eligible for MSP coverage. Um, so that lapses every time 
for example, a temporary foreign workers visa renews, or if there's a gap between a student visa and a work permit coming through for an international student, that lot, that coverage ends and there's another three month waiting period. So what I've heard from people who support, you know, immigrant women and newly arrived British Columbians is that this is not accessible and it's leading to people not accessing abortion or prescription contraception uh, because they can't pay for it. It's between paying for groceries or paying for an IUD or paying for uh, the internet uh, and electricity and paying for an abortion. Um, and that costs BC's healthcare hugely because they, you know, they, they come to a uh, to hospital in need of emergency care uh, as they should receive, uh, but that could have been prevented uh, if they were had access to prescription contraception first. Yeah, no kidding. We've got some talk in our live chat right now about coverage for all prescription drugs. Like a sounds a lot like a national pharmacare plan. You have to wonder where that might go over the next little while. Can Can I ask you are you are you right in Vancouver right now? Where are we talking to you I from? Am, yeah. You're right in Vancouver. So, um, you, you know, you, you wake up and, and you can be in the mountains in 75 minutes. Uh, you can be south of the border. You can be in Seattle in two hours. You can run the seawall today. You've got fabulous. You've got all this kind of stuff. That, but are you a little are you a little bit jealous now as a journalist that you're not going to be covering politics in Alberta over the next few months. I think I know how you're wired. Are you feeling the tint, the tiny tinge? I am, but I have so much love and respect for my colleagues in, in Alberta, my old paper, the journal and that, at other outlets that I worked at and, um, or, or worked alongside. Yeah. So I, I know they're going to do a bang up job. And, uh, we've also, the tie also has a little, um, Alberta, project coming soon so if you're interested in that you can you should definitely uh keep an eye on our website because we'll be we'll be looking forward to uh, engaging ourselves in the election a bit too yeah sounds good well we'll look forward to it i've always enjoyed your reporting and that includes uh the two stories that we're talking about today thanks so much as mentioned you woke up bright and early for us we appreciate it more keep up the great work at the tie thanks for having me ryan take yeah, care you got it you as well it's Mary whiten from the tie doing Great work, and uh, I really appreciate some of these comments. We always want to leave time uh, to get into some of the, the notes that you're making in our live chat. That's one of the things, of course, that you know our live audience has the opportunity to contribute to the editorial vibe of the show to drive this conversation, right? Like Glenna, what a beautiful comment from Glenna talking about you know the de- decriminalizing uh, initiatives. And, and hey, listen, if you're completely ardently against this, we'd love to hear from you too. To talk at ryanjesperson.com, Glenna says education over incarceration. You know, engaged, involved, respected people aren't as drawn to drugs as those who feel unseen, unwelcome, and unloved. That's a comment that's driven by empathy, and I really appreciate that. A lot of you were talking about your own personal experience and, and things that you're seeing. Nicole says, I may have missed this, but will the the abortion pill be covered, the so-called morning after pill? Morag reporting that it will be, Nicole. So there you go. And, and you can read about this again at the thetai.ca uh, Dr. Bradley Martin in the chat, a family physician out of beautiful Hinton, Alberta, says a doctor not willing to provide a prescription for contraception should hand in their license. That's total crap. That's the idea around conscience rights, right? Um, the last time off the top of my head that I think we were talking about this, and I may be wrong, correct me if I'm wrong, it wouldn't be the first time, would be right when we were talking about medical assistance in dying. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when the federal government made that an option for people a number of years ago, there were physicians that, and, and still are physicians that will exercise what they call conscience rights, and they will not 
you know, participate in the process for that referral. Mm-hmm. And that's always been a contentious spot to be. This has always been a contentious subject. Like, what is the duty of a physician or of a healthcare provider when a patient is requesting a referral to, for example, an abortion mm-hmm. or medical assistance in dying? Or perhaps back in the day before cannabis was legal recreationally in Canada, a a prescription for medical cannabis. And there were physicians that ideologically or the way that they were personally wired, it didn't work for them. And so they would elect to deny that service to their patients. And, And this, I think, is a real hot button topic for obvious reasons. The simple answer for a lot of people might be do your fucking job. Yeah, That might be the simple answer for a lot of people. But I mean, this is all this is all great news. I don't know how anyone could be against, you know, free contraception. Another big thing my wife was talking about yesterday was, you know, just free menstrual supplies. Like, it seems weird that you go into a bathroom and you have everything you need to for bodily functions, except this still like no free tampons. Like, I know they're doing stuff in Ontario with it in schools and stuff, but I feel like it, it it should just be in every bathroom. It should just be there. Right. So, yeah. And, and, And even if it's not free. At least at lifting least the have tax, it, yeah, taking the like, sales tax off it, right? That's a, that's a big deal for yeah. a lot of people. Saying there are essentials, like a lot of grocery items. That, like you can look at the list, you can Google it mm-hmm. of what GST is not charged on. It is charged on women's menstrual products, and there's been a lot of fight around that. Mm-hmm. Um, gives us a, a chance to give a shout out to our friends uh, at No Period Without. They're doing great work, and that just pops into my consciousness, pops into my mind. They do great work to make those menstrual products available to women uh, wherever they can. In particular, in in the Metro Edmonton region. But you can learn more about what they're doing. Noperiodwithout.com. Looks like they've actually got a a donor campaign on right now. So that's good timing for us to be able to point that out. I want to get to some more of these comments real quick. And then we're going to talk about policing, specifically in the city of Grand Prairie. I love this from Justin, who says, I think we all might be surprised to find out who might self-medicate people that we know with one substance or another. You know, whether that's alcohol or weed or whatever. I don't want to tell tales out of school, but I was playing hockey. We went, <laughs> I thought you were going to say, but I. <laughs> no, but I personally. No, I self-medicate. Sure. Everybody sell it. What do you want to call it? Right now. Like my you, cup. You, you, no, just kidding. <laughs> but, you know, you go for a couple drinks. You might not want to call it self-medicating, yeah. but people might say, I want to take the edge off. I had a long day. Mm-hmm. I need a beer. I'm going to have an old-fashioned. I'm going to smoke a joint. Like, what do you call it? What do you want to call it? I think for some people, you want to call it using drugs. Mm-hmm. For other people, what is it? Oh, it's just relaxing. Why is that? Because some people are in a higher tax bracket. It's mm-hmm. just relaxing. Right. I think most of us are long past the point of of judging others on what they do to take the edge off. I mean, maybe especially these days after covid, I was like, hey, whatever you got to do, as long as you're not, you know, it's not going too far, as long as you're using moderation, uh, as long as you're, you know, still going to the doctor once a year and making sure you're healthy. I I don't judge Mm. people on much anymore. Yeah. Uh, Keep the comments coming. You can send us a note anytime to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Uh, Justin says, I like the point she made. Not all drug use is inherently, quote, bad or can be classified as addiction if it's not detrimental to your everyday life. Tony's pointed out, I didn't know this. She says there are a lot of facilities that actually do have free pads, tampons, and washrooms. A lot of them are city-owned rec centers and things like that. That's great to hear. That's awesome. Uh, If there's ever an element or an angle to our conversation that you feel is not being covered, this is where we put it over to you, and you can send us a note anytime. We make it nice and easy to get in touch with us. Mayor Jackie Clayton, Councillor Dylan Bressy from uh, the city of Grand Prairie in just a second. No more RCMP. That's what the future is looking like in GP. These conversations are presented by sponsors like our friends at California Closets. 
Now, as the name would suggest, obviously, they have their closet game dialed in. And I can tell you that from personal experience. We hired California Closets many years ago to basically transform our living space, our uh, bedroom where Carrie and I are, as well as down in our main family room area. We asked them to put in some entertainment unit type organizational resource. And boy, oh boy. I mean, they completely transformed the look of our home and they could do the same for you in the bedroom, in workspaces. Your home office maybe could use a little love. Maybe you'd actually enjoy working in there, right? The California Closets Touch is a balance of productivity and style with custom home office furniture. And they don't just stop there. What they're doing for garages will blow your mind. You can check it out all online at californiaclosets.ca. That's also where you can request your free consultation. I personally recommend if you're looking to completely add to the experience of living in your own space and add to the value of your home, you're going to want to partner with California Closets. And now, of course, you may have noted, hey, John, can, can I can I solicit a bit of a compliment? Your, your, your thoughts on my uh, you know I on hate my, my sweatshirt today? What do you oh, think yeah, of this yeah, sweatshirt? it's beautiful. You know, you got this in the mail a little while ago <laughs> from our friends at Park Power. Look at this. Look at this badass gear. Pretty I appreciate hip. this from the team <laughs> at Park Power. I'm proud to rep their colors, and we're proud as a family to, to give our business and electricity, natural gas, internet to Park Power. You should do the same thing. Why? Number one, because you're going to pay less. Number two, because with the promo code REALTALK23, when you sign up, you could save up to $150 by bundling all services. That's Realtalk23, the promo code. And finally, because they take 10% of their electricity profits. 10%! That's a lot! And they give it back to nonprofits, to charities where their teams live and work across the province of Alberta. You can sign up today. It takes five minutes or less at parkpower.ca. Listen, if you're in that gut-wrenching scenario where fire has impacted your family, whether it's at the house, the garage, maybe your cabin, whatever the case may be, maybe your business has experienced that nightmare, maybe it's a flood, a pipe has burst, I want your first thought and your first call to be complete care restoration. We trusted them with our studio build, and that included rectifying a long-term water leak where we could not have it. There's more electronics here than at NASA. And so we said to these guys, we cannot have any issues. Well, this team dialed in in a way that just completely knocked our socks off. The professionalism that they exemplified has us so proud to partner with them. We here at Real Talk give two thumbs up to the team at Complete Care Restoration. If you're in one of those nightmare scenarios, you let your insurance company, you know about Complete Care Restoration and you want them to do the work. Hey, speaking of handling out and taking out the trash, speaking of cleaning up, Local Environmental Services is doing that in Alberta and Saskatchewan, growing their footprint like you wouldn't believe. This company's growth story is absolutely remarkable. Why are more and more and more businesses, small and large, taking their business to local environmental services? Because they're family-owned and because you get treated better. You're going to pay less, and when you call them, a real human's going to answer the phone. Imagine that. You can learn more about their core values. Integrity is number one by visiting them online at localenvironmental.ca. And a shout out to, to Adam and to Gabriel. We have received your emails for Trash Talk and they've already met our vetting and approval process. Congratulations. We've still got room for a couple more. Trash Talk, real emails to real talk presented Fridays on the show 
by local environmental services. Well, it's a story, of course, that is uh, capturing attention across the province right now, and that is the future of policing in Alberta. In particular, Alberta's Premier Danielle Smith is talking a lot about the idea of a provincial police force, much like what they've got in Ontario. It would mean bidding adieu to the RCMP. Now, this is a bit of a different story, but not totally where decision makers in the city of Grand Prairie are looking at introducing and rolling out their own police service instead of the RCMP, which is currently handling those duties. We're joined live this morning by Grand Prairie's mayor, Her Worship, Jackie Clayton, and uh, Councillor Dylan Bressy, both good friends of this show. It's nice to see both of your faces. Mayor Clayton, it was wonderful to catch up with you at the uh, Alberta Tourism Advocacy Summit just last week, where I know you were proud to represent the region. You and I had a chance to chat a little bit about policing, and and we thought, let's just do this on the air. But what's the basic story here? How did this all come about? Well, it's, it's, it's not really a quick story, and, it, and, and I'll be as brief as I can, but in 2018, when Council of the Day started to hear about the fact that the RCMP were going to be undergoing a collective bargaining agreement, which in turn could lead to, uh, we suspected would lead to higher costs, uh, councils across Alberta started to talk about, are there other opportunities available to municipalities for policing? Uh, through that process in 2020, um, the provincial government then announced that they were interested in a provincial police force. So, um, you know, a lot of background work went into that. 2021, council uh, endorsed and approved through our budget process a um, a contract to go out to evaluate the current service model as well as other opportunities. That report came back in 2022, where council then made a decision to fund a um, a third-party um, contractor and who ended up being MMP to do a present a transition plan to see what that would look like if we were interested in transitioning. And now we're here where we are today. On Monday, council voted to uh, move forward with a municipal police first force, which uh, first and foremost will appoint an, a commission. The commission will go out and hire a police chief and, um, and then it'll be a five-year transition where we slowly de-escalate the RCMP and slowly implement a municipal police force. What were, what were the results of that vote? It was, wasn't quite unanimous? No, it was 8-1. Eight, 8-1. One. Eight, one. Uh, Councillor Bressy, you supported that? Yeah, Ryan, I did. And, you know, I'm coming to this interview actually a little bit hot because of the banner you had with the big no more RCMP. Okay. And that's that's truly not what this is about. We love our RCMP members. We think the RCMP does an incredible job of federal policing, and it really does a great job of the rural remote policing that it was created for. But the challenge is, and we're not the only city experiencing this, once your community hits a certain size at a city at a certain complexity, it's just not well served by that federal and that rural remote model. So this isn't about no more RCMP. This is just about us for our own community having the best possible policing for our residents And we've heard crystal clear, both from K Division and our own staff, that going forward, there's going to be very close collaboration with the RCMP. They're going to be involved in our five-year transition. The RCMP detachment commander will be the chief of our police for at least the next two years, somewhere between the next two or three years. And when this transition is complete, there's still going to be incredibly close work between our police service and the RCMP to make sure that we've got a safe region. And we're taking care of the criminals that don't stop in municipal borders. 
some somebody writes here, and, and and Dylan, you and I are pals off camera, so people can know it's okay for us. To, it's okay for you to let me know you're a little bit hot about our promotion of this. But 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 you know, audience member right now says, yeah, right. You love them so much, you want to break up with them. Okay, what would you say to them? Yeah, I'm happy I, to I honestly do right. It's not about the individual members we've got. We've got incredible officers serving our community, but we've got real challenges with the system that those members work within. Mayor, you want to pick it up? Yeah, just to add on that, it, it's about finding the best service model for our community, as Dylan indicated. It's uh, it's really um, not against the RCMP, but for 10 years that I've been an elected person for this city of Grand Prairie, it uh, it. it Safety has been number one or two in the citizen satisfaction surveys we do. And so in order to create the safest environment possible, we need the model that serves us the best through the service review, which was 122 pages, is available online, has been for a very long time. Uh, it's been public since 2022. It shows that the service model isn't going to fit our needs as a community of our size and and the complications and the and the actually the magnitude of the situations that we deal with in our city. I, I was reading local Sorry, go ahead. Well, I don't mean to cut you off, Mayor. My apologies. I was, I was reading an interview with uh, Councillor Gladys Blackmore, one of those who, and, and it's interesting. I'd be curious for your take on this. She told CTV News that she actually thought two years ago that she'd be voting against this, uh, ended up voting for it. But she cited something interesting, said that she was frustrated by the fact that 40 out of the 97 officers, so almost half, uh, came directly to Grand Prairie from depot, you know, like basically from Regina, from training, and said that it meant that they were inexperienced and still required a significant amount of training. Was there? I mean, bitterness is a loaded word, but was that something that was raising your eyebrows? Did you feel like you were getting a, a waves of inexperienced officers to a city that required pretty experienced policing? Yeah, historically, we've been a city that not only gets. Um, constables out of depot as as you know and and serves grand prairie, grand prairie served as a training ground for a long time we've seen senior management train in grand prairie is a long time brenda lucky who just recently retired has been to uh served in grand prairie curtis the blocky who is k division commanding officer served in grand prairie the list goes on so whether it's constables right out of depot or whether it's senior management definitely is a training ground and the complexity of our issues, I can understand that it becomes a good training ground. However, it doesn't come, it doesn't bode well into the conversation that you want of a consistent, uh, mature, growing police force that is not only new to the community, but has been here a while to understand, you know, when you pick up the phone and say, you know, I've been, you know, I've been shot for lack of a better term and I'm behind this place. Oh, yeah, sorry. They don't, the members don't understand that. Mm. Well, and for me, when we did our model review, the two statistics that really jumped out at me was our average watch officer, so on the very front lines of policing, has been in, in police service for less than one year. And 50% of our supervisory positions were filled by people who were in acting roles because they didn't have the appropriate rank or experience to fill those roles. So how, how does this play out like what's you know how what, what what's involved here like who where's the talent pool coming from how are you doing the hiring how, how does this transition happen uh mayor you were letting me know that i, I was surprised is actually to hear that the gp owns you you own headquartered building you own the cars already is that right so there's gonna be like deckling yep. costs i might start a deckling business but but what's involved cost-wise in this so we own 90 percent of, of all the assets and so um 
the transition, you know, I've had multiple people reach out and say, I have a building for sale or I have land for sale. They assume we're going to build a new facility. The reality is we own and we will transition in the new members and transition out the RCMP. It, uh, um, it's less of a, of a operational trans, uh, trans, transition and more of a people transition and so uh, there will be a duplication of services over the next five years we know that and that actually covers a bulk of the transition costs is the duplication of services this is an interesting uh bit of polling janet brown uh the pollster out of calgary put this together for alberta municipalities obviously grand prairie a member there uh a referendum on a provincial police force uh, I don't know if it's it, it, it's apples and oranges. It, it might be like oranges and nectarines, like kind of like similar here. But but here's the premise. This is not uh, feedback on whether or not people support a provincial police force. But this is polling on how Albertans want to see it play out. And interesting to see that 85% of respondents said that they believe that this should be put to a referendum. We're talking province-wide here. Okay, that was the context of the question. 13% of respondents said it should not go to a vote. 2% were not sure. So that's an overwhelming majority of people polled across the province said that they would want to vote on whether or not there was going to be a provincial police force. If we were to take that premise and apply it to Grand Prairie Mayor, why not put this to a plebiscite? Why not ask the people of Grand Prairie what they want? Well, first I'll mention that 80% of Canadians are policed by a service other than the RCMP. So this is not new. It's it's relatively new in Alberta in the sense that there's six municipal police forces. But the reality is, is that it's not new in the rest of Canada. And, and so to find a model that serves you best was council's goal. In regards to putting it to a referendum, I tell you that the, the nine people that were elected to govern this city are the most knowledgeable other than the consultants in this. We've spent hundreds of hours in reading and education with listening to subject matter experts, reviewing consultation, reviewing significant reports, debating between ourselves, discussing between ourselves. And the nine people that are fully engaged in this decision are the best decision makers. We're also, we're elected to make difficult decisions and to abdicate our responsibility, I think is not doing our job. Let me I want to ask you both about this because people are going to worry about the bottom line. People care about the dollars and cents. They obviously care about the policing. Of course, uh, they're going to want to know what it does to crime rates in Grand Prairie. I was talking to a friend in Vancouver about this, about the fact that the two of you were coming on today. And he goes, you have to ask them about Surrey. And I'm sure that you see this question coming from a mile away. Surrey, B.C. right now uh, is transitioning or in the process of transitioning from the RCMP. This is a major market, obviously. This is this is a, a major population center uh, just on the other side of the Portman Bridge from Vancouver, from Burnaby, technically. A decision on this transition still weeks away. The opposition is calling it a total mess. And as you can see here in reporting by, by globalnews.ca, there's a $116 million shortfall here, a transition-related budget shortfall. Again, way bigger population center than Grand Prairie, but still, the city's going to hike property taxes by 9.5% to cover that shortfall on top of an already planned 7% increase. Surrey residents are looking at a 17.5% property tax increase. It's going to make people nervous in Grand Prairie, Mayor. Yeah, and, and I'll, I'll answer a little bit this and get Councillor Bresti to add a bit more, but um, Council has said publicly the intent is not to raise taxes, and people question when I say the word intent. Um, personally, I will not support 
uh, a motion to raise taxes on this. We've been given from the province $9.7 million of our transition expenses. We have tools in our tool chest to be able to um, fund this through other means so that we don't raise taxes. The Surrey comparison, like you say, it's not even oranges to mandarins. It's it's apples to oranges. It's not even, sure, it may look at the surface because you're switching to a municipal police force, but it's not the same scenario. But I'll turn it to Councillor Bressy. Yeah, that's been a huge concern about council is the financial impact of policing. And frankly, under the RCMP model, we it's not like our costs are safe. Every year we see our RCMP costs go up. We can never predict how much they're going to go up by, and there's zero local input into it. So part of this honestly is public safety is number one, but part of this actually is also we want to make sure that our local communities controlling the money it invests in policing. I think the big difference, the two big differences between us and Surrey is they had a brand new council that got elected and at their first council meeting, as an entire council, they hadn't even got their seats warm and they voted to initiate a transition. Then they started all the detailed planning. For us, we've done the exact opposite. We've spent the last two years looking at what a transition might look like. We've done exhaustive detailed work. I think at the beginning of that work, a lot of us, including myself, were quite skeptical of a transition. But as we've done that hard work and we've created a detailed plan, now we've made the political decision. And in Surrey, the big expenses of transition aren't buying new computers, buying new cars, all of, all of that. The real big lesson learned from Surrey is they're having troubles because they haven't had clear timelines on their transitions. They still don't know if or when the Surrey police will take over from the RCMP. So that means they're paying for two police forces at the same time which is tremendously expensive. For us, we've got a detailed plan to make sure that we're phasing up our service, phasing down the RCMP over five years so that we really minimize that time of duplicate services. I, I, I just hear, like, this is just scuttlebutt from first responders, but there's, there's like, sort of a healthy rivalry or maybe unhealthy rivalry between cops and firefighters. There's obviously powerful unions at play. Do either of you have a concern that this transition period between the outgoing RCMP and the incoming Grand Prairie Police Service might not be as seamless as you hope? Yeah, I can tell you, um, we actually, at initial look, probably have the opposite uh, concern that more RCMP are going to want to come over than we've put in our transition plan. Initial, the first year is only six members transitioning over. We know th through early indications that there are more members of our current 98 force uh, team member force that want to come over. So it's, um, do you worry about uh, integration? Uh, sure. Absolutely. There will be, like you said, but this gives us an opportunity for local oversight, local management, local autonomy, and the police chief that's hired by the commission will have to be well, well aware and aligned with the superintendent at the RCMP. They're going to be working together collaboratively. They're both paid. One's paid 90% by the city. One will be paid 100% by the city. So there is... Um, there will need to be communication there. I'm not as worried about it. I don't know if Councillor Bressy is. No, I'm not worried about it. I know that throughout looking at this transition, we visited Surrey multiple times. Or uh, Sorry, our staff visited Surrey multiple times. And what was seen on the ground there is there is really good co collaboration on the front lines. There's been organizational structural issues at the top, but not the type of issues that compromise public safety. And we've heard from K Division. We've heard from our detachment commander that when this transition is initiated, there's going to be full cooperation. And I do trust them for that. So 
No, I'm not worried about that. So, so the, the premise here is that the money that Grand Prairie is spending on the RCMP is going to cover the cost of the Grand Prairie Police Service. Is that is that basically the understanding here? Yes, absolutely. And are you going to pay, or you, I mean, is the police service, I mean, are, are you going to be dangling some carrots? Are there going to be some incentives? Like, there's obviously a benefit to having law enforcement that's already working in the city to stay in the city. Are there going to be perks? Are you hoping to, to poach? For sure. Yeah, I mean, there will be, um, and I wouldn't call it poaching. It's a planned transition. Well, you're a politician. So- of course you won't call it poaching. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's a planned transition. There are incentives. Um, but also, you bring up a good point about training locally. So in our um, in our recruitment plan, there is a plan to work with, uh, the plan is to work with the Lethbridge College to do the training locally, to offer that training here. We know that through other industries that if you train here, they stay here. So majority of the initiatives we draw from a base of 300,000 people will be to hire those people and train locally in addition to the transition from RCMP and I can tell you already this week we've received numerous emails from other detachments uh, saying you know I would like to consider when are you going to open the application process so it's uh, and that's all levels so it's interesting um, Transition will, um, of course, we're going to have a few stumbles, but I don't think recruitment is going to be as tough as pos- as people think. And the other thing in that for me is that we don't have a problem recruiting firefighters in our city. They are paid well. They are, there's a lineup to do the job, and I don't see why our CMP would, or sorry, why policing would be any different. Councilor, you yeah. said, uh, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, yeah, there is built into our financial model. There is recruitment incentives. They will make a little bit more. Their pensions will carry over. But also, people don't get into policing because of the money. They get into policing because they want to serve their community and they want to work on making their community safer. And I really do believe that this model we're going to have is going to be more attractive for those people. For example, right now, where our frontline watch members spend the majority of their time is running all over town, taking care of the lowest level of criminal issues. We don't, uh, you don't get into policing because you want to go to Walmart to pick up the already detained shoplifter. Under our new model, we're going to have peace officers who have more training, more screening, more supervision than they have today. We'll take care of the, they'll be the ones running around the city with their feet run off, take care of the minor mischief, the minor theft, those really low level crimes so that our actual sworn officers can spend the time doing what they got into policing to do, which is proactive policing and dealing with the bigger crimes in our community. So I think that will be a really attractive model to a lot of them as well. Uh, Counselor, you said that, you know, you, a couple of years ago, you were, you were a little bit cynical about this or maybe uncertain about, you know, where you'd stand or ultimately when it came down to it, what you what vote you'd put on the record. Uh, what was one of your objections or what was one of your concerns that you changed your mind on? And was there a model somewhere in Canada a jurisdiction, a community that you looked at and you said, okay, there's a model that I think might apply or might be an apples to apples comparison to to Grand Prairie. Yeah, for me, what really changed was, A, I talked to you about the stats. I knew that we had a lot of junior. I knew that we had a lot of short-term police in our community, but I didn't know how bad it was. So seeing those stats was a big eye-opener to me. The second thing that changed was, doing two years of incredibly detailed financial analysis and realizing that we can actually do municipal policing for a little bit less than RCMP costs us was significant. And the third thing for me was I've spent a lot of time over the last two years talking to mayors, councillors, police commission members, police chiefs, police members, 
that are in other municipal services in mid-sized cities, spend a lot of time talking especially to people in Medicine Hat, and just hearing about the things they got to do with their police service that we've been trying for years to do in Grand Prairie and couldn't get approval from the higher ups. Our detachment commander would often be on board, but we couldn't get approval from the larger RCMP machine to do here. And so it was multiple cities across the country that we talked to and really saw things in their municipal police services that we thought would be great for our community. I want to thank both of you for your time. Is there anything that we've not touched on that you think is relevant? Obviously, this interview is going to get a lot of attention today and for the rest of this week across Alberta because Grand Prairie is certainly not the only community that's going to be toying with this idea. I see somebody in the live chat right now wondering if GP stands for guinea pig. That's an interesting observation. We'll see. But you know, you know, it might, it might be a little bit. Hey, Mayor, I mean, that's kind of part of it. You'd, you'd be one of the first in a while to do it. Yeah, we think that there's actually an advantage being first out of the gate on many levels. And we do know that there's a, a multiple, a, at least a half a dozen mid-sized cities that are interested in looking at this. People are following along. The thing that I would say, you know, for, to remember for the community that feels like they don't have all the information, um, there will be continuous, ongoing, regular communication throughout this transition. We will... Um, we want people to understand how the process is working. We want the transition to go smoothly. So engaging the community is of utmost importance. The commission, for example, will have monthly meetings once they're established. Those meetings will be public. There will be local oversight, local input, uh, local management. And really it's just an opportunity to have a local opinion on the force that keeps your community safe. And so I think that's a that's the biggest opportunity here for us. And sure, first out of the gate has its advantages, um, but we know that the province is fully behind us. And regardless of who is serving government at the time following May 28th, we know that the province will support a safe community. Yeah, it, it, it's fascinating to to keep an eye on this. I know the province has offered you what, just under ten million dollars, right? Right around ten million bucks for this. Yeah, nine point seven, as well as yeah. an indi- uh, a letter stating that they will uh, work with us in the transition uh, beyond year twenty twenty six. Can I can I ask you a question that, that, that I'd rather ask to your face because I'm you're, you're going to say Jesperson, quit being such an asshole. But I just you know you look at like the firewall letter from back like Tom Flanagan, Stephen Harper, and all those like way back in the day, the nineties, right? And and two of the big points in that firewall letter that everybody talks about, you should Google it, folks, if you don't know what I'm talking about, but it's a provincial police force and a provincial pension plan. And here are these two priorities again for this united conservative government. And while this is not a provincial police force in Grand Prairie, and here's the part where you might ring, do you fear or is it on your radar that Grand Prairie might be being used as a bit of a pawn in the bigger picture game to weaken the presence of the RCMP in the province? This is not about weakening the presence of the RCMP. This is about finding the best service model for our community. As I mentioned, we started these conversations in 2018. There was the the current RCMP contract um, for contract policing ends in 2032. So there is uncertainty of what the future in contract policing across Canada looks like. So with the uncertainty of that, with the at the time when we started the conversation, the 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 lack of knowledge and what the um, collective bargaining agreement was going to be. We budgeted for about 16%. It ended up being 24%. And as Councillor Bressy indicated, it's an unknown cost ongoing. So this isn't about anti-RCMP sentiment. It's really about finding the best model for our community. And being first out of the gate has its advantages. It's always great to connect with you both. Really appreciate your availability on this. And I'll look forward to the next time our paths cross in person. 
You bet. Take care. Thank you, Ryan. Yeah, you bet. Take care. That's Grand Prairie's Mayor Jackie Clayton, uh, Councillor Dylan Bressy. Uh, Tara Lynn on our live chat says, I think this would be much less concerning if there wasn't so much involvement from this provincial government. You know, the concern that it feeds their agenda. Uh, we can't pretend that Grand Prairie is NDP territory. That from Tara Lynn. It's an interesting point as well. Kind of the, the reason for my last question there. Um, I mean, asking a mayor if she feels like she's being used as a pawn by the provincial government is a pretty direct question. Um, but I appreciate her taking that question because that's a, that, that's kind of what everybody wants to know, right? That's a question everybody's asking. It all comes back to that firewall letter. And if you're unfamiliar with it, this was the one, it's it's worth a read. Like this is out of that, you know, that University of Calgary crew that basically sort of plotted out and set the course for conservative politics federally uh, and arguably provincially as well for the next 25 to 30 years. Uh, it's fascinating to go back and look and then wonder aloud how that may apply to what might happen in Alberta, starting with the platform that the UCP will release. Um, and then should the United Conservatives form government, what that might look like with a four-year mandate. You can let us know where all this is landing with you. Obviously, if you happen to be paying taxes in Grand Prairie, we're especially interested in your perspective, uh, whether that's a note to the show on, you know, the, the brass tax of all this, or, or maybe it's just you blowing off a little steam in either direction. Hell, maybe you're an RCMP member that's working in Grand Prairie. Send us a note to talk at ryanjesperson.com. These conversations are presented. Do you have anything? To- oh, I'm just laughing at Justin's comment on here. He Because it is funny. If, if, they, if they do get a Grand Prairie police service, you know, searching for them online is going to be hard. The GPS. Oh, the GPS. <laughs> That's amazing. Well played. We need to be, have like little, like give like keychains away or something. I guess it would be the GPPS. The GPPS. Yeah, yeah, the GPPS. Yeah. There you go. Hey, if you're in Grand Prairie, you know about the Friesen Brothers on 99th Street already. I don't have to tell you about that. Of course, Friesen Brothers is in 16 different Alberta communities. Alberta grown and Alberta owned since 1965. And right now, I want to draw your attention to, you know, the produce, the fresh produce at Friesen Brothers. We all, of course, love thinking about tropical vacations during the winter months. Those winter months that seem somewhat never-ending at this point. So Friesen Brothers believes it's the perfect time to celebrate all things tropical. During this week at Friesen Brothers, you can discover exotic tropical fruits like dragon fruit, star fruit, passion fruit, or ugly fruit. That's right. That's what it's called. You know it's ripe when it turns ugly. And a lot of other offers that can make you feel warmer. There's a lot more information at Friesen.com. That's F-R-E-S-O-N.com. That's where you can find their weekly flyer. If you're working in the energy industry or you want to work in the energy industry on the engineering side, on the automation side, you're a skilled professional. You've got experience, but you just don't feel valued. You don't feel inspired. You don't feel like your professional development is going anywhere. Stop everything and go to apexautomation.ca. They're hiring right now. They've tripled the size of their team over the past few years because more and more professional engineers and technologists from across the country are picking up on exactly what they're doing, and that is putting their people ahead of their profits. You might think, yeah, it sounds like a slogan, but what does that actually mean? Check out their website and see for yourself. Check out the About Us link at apexautomation.ca. The sole purpose of what they're doing to create long-term trusting and authentic business relationships built on integrity. That's Apex Automation. 
ca. You want to talk about a business that's growing? How about Kubi Renewable Energy? Just got a positive reflection submission, by the way, Johnny, for Monday coming up. Mm-hmm. We had we had a real talker. He took his kids down to Las Vegas, and they had an experience down there that will warm the cockles of your heart. We'll tell you that story coming up on Monday. Great place to take kids. Isn't that a great... <laughs> buddy of mine took his kids to Vegas. I was like, what do you even do down there? He's like... <laughs> He's like, you know, there is kid-friendly stuff in Vegas. I, I said, lock him in the hotel room. I go gamble. I said, no, I'll, I'll, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> well, this real talker let his kids roam around, and they did something pretty special. Positive Reflections is presented. Yeah, what are what a babysitter in Las Vegas? Wow. I'm sorry. Kubi's like, can you please tell people that we're providing solar energy solutions to power your life? Okay, Kubi. Okay, we will. Here's one of the many reasons why you should go to kubienergy.ca today. Why? Okay, because it increases the supply of renewable energy to your city when you put up solar panels. It reduces your home's utility costs. That's a win. You have long-term energy savings. It increases the value of your property. And oh yeah, you're helping save the planet. You can get an interest-free loan from the feds right now up to 40 grand, but the chances are, unless you live in the Taj Mahal, you're not gonna need $40,000 worth of solar panels. So it's gonna be more affordable than you think. You can get your free quote today online at kubienergy.ca. And while we're talking about saving the planet, what about that urban butterfly approach? Have you heard about this new concept in landscape design? More and more people are reintegrating and reintroducing native plants and grasses into their front and backyards. They're introducing more plants that are attracting pollinators, right? You want the butterflies, you want the bees. This is right in the wheelhouse of Eden Landscaping, custom landscaping services. There's a lot of reasons to go with Eden Landscaping. They're masters of finding that fusion of need and style. They're helping more and more people grow their own food in their front and backyards with those beautiful raised garden beds. You can entertain in the space while it still looks manicured and there is nothing, and this is their guarantee, there is nothing construction-wise that you can ask for that they cannot do. You can find Eden Landscaping online today at landscapeedmonton.ca. And finally, a reminder from our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park that it's always a great day for DQ. Can I pull back the curtain and tell everybody what I walked into on Saturday morning here in the studio, John? What? You and I had a little meeting scheduled. We were going to oh, do some no, work off camera. Call me out here. And I walked in and there you were with your favorite verb. You were double dillying. You were double dillying with the dairy-free dilly bars. I mean, it's not just for lunch and dinner. No. You can have a dilly bar at 10 a.m. as well. <laughs> now, I will throw it's myself breakfast. under the bus and let everybody know that I also crushed a large Dairy Queen blizzard over the weekend, okay? Not and for I, breakfast. And not for breakfast. <laughs> no, but it was kind of like a midday snack just to tie me over between lunch and dinner. You know what I mean? I went with the score blizzard, and I recommend you do the same. But if you're looking for the full meal deal at the Dairy Queens and Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road, my personal recommendation today is the Bacon 2 Cheese Deluxe Signature Stack Burger. Nobody does it like DQ. No burgers look better. They actually look in person like they do on the website. (laughs) You can find them at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. You know, I was just kidding. I know that I know there's stuff to do with kids in and around Vegas. 
some some people uh, commenting too that it's a, <laughs> no there is though you got like the the, the shark shark reef thing at Mandalay Bay which I don't really agree with but whatever uh, the Grand Canyon's like you know two hours away you've got uh, what's Mandalay Bay they have real sharks mm, or are they robot sharks I'm just looking here it looks like yeah a big aquarium but whatever but I understand that there's there's stuff to do with kids in Vegas okay I didn't imply that all parents that go there are degenerates or something. <laughs> Arguably, everybody that goes to Vegas is a bit of a degenerate, and, and that includes me. Well, I would argue it's that kind of the whole point. We're all degenerates inside. We're all degenerates. Anyways, that should be the new T-shirt we do. Real talk. We're all degenerates. Just That's take a, the pressure off. Whenever I see someone like like today, we're talking about addiction or you know trying to gripe on people about you know whether it's booze or what whatever their vice is. I'm always like, I wonder what this person's vice is that they're. Yeah. They're not telling us. Well, everybody's got something, right? Is it chocolate? Is it porn? Is it? Yeah. You know, DQ. We got, <laughs> we got, a, we, we got an amazing uh, email from somebody the other day that, that was pointing out our thumbnails. And John does a great job designing our thumbnails. You can check him out on our well, YouTube in, channel. You can subscribe of, to YouTube. Yeah, we're in a bit of transition period right yeah, now. We're yeah. trying to figure out if we want things to look so different. So we're or. asking people the questions that demand answers and mm-hmm. the thumbnail work today by the way with counselor bressy rolls in hot and that's kind of what it we did want. its job yeah. it's like a cereal box on the shelf at the grocery store that's the job of the thumbnail but two of our thumbnails asked a few days ago in in shows just a few episodes apart do you drink too much and are you addicted to your phone mm-hmm. and this email from this real talker who asked that we not use their name uh wondered what's next asking me if i'm addicted to porn and I thought, that's actually a great idea yeah. for a show. And so we have reached out to porn entrepreneurs. And we've reached out to some psychologists okay. and relationship counselors. And mm-hmm. I do intend on putting together a real talk roundtable. That'll be very interesting. On porn. Because I, I, you know, obviously single people. You might consider them addicted to porn. I think people in relationships use it. I've, I've heard people say it, it harms their relationship. I've heard other people say it kind of helps their relationships. So what about I, some people say that porn is uh, exploiting people mm-hmm. and other people will say that porn is empowering people? I think sex workers today are, are more empowered than ever, but I also think there probably is a faction of them that are being exploited. This would be a great roundtable. A hundred percent. So that's on our radar because of an email from a real talker. Uh, and we think that that's going to be a great episode. That'll be coming up on a real talk roundtable. Not sure exactly when, but we'll let you know once we secure the guests that we want mm-hmm. uh, to sort of be the authoritative voices on that. We're not going to venture into that territory without having people who's, uh, you know, who have some credibility on the subject matter. And of course, we want to represent diverse points of view, right? You're not going to bring on like three people who all agree about it. No, we want to have three different perspectives and, and uh, understand that in this audience, different people will connect with the different messages that are being shared. Yeah. And if you listen to Real Talk with your kids, might be a good show to take them to Vegas for the day instead. Take them to Vegas for the day <laughs> just, to, just to, the, to preserve the their, to preserve their childlike <laughs> innocence. Take them to Vegas. Do you think that they'll have like, I mean, I, I was just Googling the, the Mandalay Bay Aquarium. It actually looks amazing. It, um, yeah. Do you for think, what that, it you is, think that stuff like that's going to fly in 50 years? You think that they'll still have stuff like that? Like, like you know, this is because it's people care differently about different animals. So people will care differently about, mm-hmm. you know, sharks in captivity. No one will care about like tuna in captivity. Nobody cares at all. Salmon in captivity. Uh, but they'll care about whales in captivity. Mm-hmm. They do 
definitely you care about like sentient beings. Yeah. Like, people care a great deal about you know gorillas and chimpanzees and orangutans in captivity. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think fifty years from now? I I think right now, and I don't want to rate like oh which animal captivity is better or worse, but I think aquariums you know gotta be worse than than keeping you know animals that live outside in outside facilities i think putting putting you know sharks and things that are meant to roam thousands of miles over the course of their you know ex- their life in like a yeah you know and then it, it in just, a salad to me, bowl to me it seems you know literally the definition of a prison there but again the one thing that's in the back of my mind is like kids growing up you want them to see nature you want them to respect nature know that it's beautiful and it should be protected so uh but today with the internet i think you can already see that in crystal clear hd but you're right there is nothing you've said this before like seeing a freaking tiger right a few feet from your face yeah, right or look or, at this i'm, I'm showing a, a a tour here right now you can just find it on youtube this is the uh, mandalay bay aquarium here right now so it's got one of those glass tubes so you're actually like walking through the aquarium you know it's over top of you which is a, a pretty wild view there and uh Right as I showed the video, we got into the, like the lamest part of it, so it's not that great. But, uh, <laughs> you can Google it yourself. Good thing most people are hearing this, not watching it. We can just let them know, oh my gosh, this video is stunning. Coming up on tomorrow's show, uh, you're not going to want to miss this. Now, our official Real Talk Roundtable, as a matter of fact, we gave you two of them, uh, typically every Friday here on the show, presented by our friends at Urban Timber. That, that was yesterday for International Women's Day, back-to-back Real Talk Roundtables. But coming up tomorrow we're talking health care and we're going to be talking about the ucp plan for health care as written about in alberta views magazine by rebecca graf mccray underfund criticize privatize that's where we'll go friday we hope you join us Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepard, Website Design Mike Johnston, VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Ann Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a Relay Project. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com. 